little touch pass there. Benson waiting, cuts in, he scores! Oh my! Into the middle, holding, back, Toporowski shooting, shot block, got it back, shot, score! Center of pass forward, of stop, shot, back to play, score! In front, Groove scores! Jaden Groove scores the triple overtime winner. Welcome into WHL Unfiltered. Uh, please be joined by my co-host Sean Mullen and also the color analyst for the Vancouver Giants, longtime WHL personality and uh, probably the reigning champion of uh, return visits to this show, uh, Bill Wilms. Uh, how's how's everything going for you up there in Vancouver tonight, Bill? Uh, very good, very good, guys. Thanks for thanks for having me on. It's uh, always a pleasure talking to you guys. And uh, you know, somebody asked if you know being around as long as I have. If it ever gets boring, or I forget exactly the way it was worded, and you know, I got to be honest with you that uh, 20, 22 now, or whatever it is, got kind of lost track. Uh, starting this particular season, it was just exciting going into game one, as pretty much any year. And, and the reason for that is simply you you, you kind of get excited. What kind of team you got? You know, opening night fun and obviously nerves for a lot of people. I wouldn't say it was nervous for me, but it certainly was exciting to see what we have. So, Jan, happy to be back at it. Well, Bill, you're, you're breaking in another broadcaster. You're getting to be an old pro at that, too. Uh, my buddy Eddie Gregory, formerly of the BCHL, stepping in for Dan O'Connor, who was a, in the league, just a world-class guy who's moved on to new opportunities. And how's that? Uh, the early days working with Eddie? Well, it's been good. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's 25 or 26 now in counting Shaw. So, no, it, it, it has been good. It's been good. I, I, uh, I'm i quite a bit in the loop there as far as the play-by-play -play guys are concerned. It, you know, they, they send me some auditions that have been sent in for various guys and uh, Eddie was, in my mind, a pretty natural because, you know, for the last couple of three years, he operated our programs, uh, you know, at the other end uh, when he wasn't doing BCHL stuff. So he was an operator. He understood our format implicitly. And uh, it was just kind of a natural for me to to see him now put the headset on and you know, and call a game. I, I did a game with him back in 2006, he says. And I remember, you know, he filled in in Kelowna one night uh, for the Giants. And I I didn't know the year. I couldn't remember the date. I remember working with him. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's been fine. It's been, it's been very good. And he's uh, very well prepared. Uh, I think that uh, one of the things that's very, very important to me in broadcasting is working together and what I call tagging, you know, so that the listener can say, well, you know what, he's hearing what he's saying because he's responding to it. And that works both ways. And, and he's, you know, very ready to you know, maybe delay a puck drop or somewhere, you know, not get to the play-by-play -play, uh, for three or four or five seconds because he wants to tie a bow around something that I had said. So, yeah, I, I, I like that. I, I like what he does. In fact, when that, that's so important to me, guys, that when Brendan Batchelor started his very first game covering the Canucks, the guy I last worked with before Dan O'Connor, I texted him one night right during his first game, right while he was on the air, and I just he, I just batch. I said, great tag on what Corey Hirsch, the color commentator, just said, and he gave me a thumbs up right back while he's doing that. And, and that's something I consider important. 
and uh, yeah, Eddie's doing a, a good job. I like working with him. Um, and there's going to be a couple games where, like last year, where he's going to work a game and I'll be in Vancouver. And I'll do a pregame show with him. I'll watch the game on my computer and I'll do in-between period stuff with him. And to have that all work and connect properly, he was at the other end of that last year and uh, the year before, is for a matter of fact. So he's very comfortable with that. And then I'm not going to Spokane on a one-off on a Wednesday night in the middle of winter. So, uh, you know, there's a couple times that'll happen and uh, he's, uh, he's prepared. Yeah, that's interesting that I, I didn't realize he was in, involved with uh, with you guys' broadcasts already. I mean, you know, that that just shows, you know, I, I was kind of looking at it like, you know, you you guys have always had the hardest working broadcast crew in, in the league, you know, full hour pregame, you know, postgame show, Giants this week. I mean, it seems like there's a, a lot of content and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, cooks in that kitchen. And so it's kind of a, it's probably kind of a mm -hmm. shock coming into it. But if he was, he was already working with you guys, he, he knew what kind of effort that, you know, that, that, that team down there at 650 that you guys put in. Yeah, that's well said. That's, that's exactly, he, he was very familiar with that. And, you know, his play by play, I mean, Sean, you know, Sean would know better probably than anybody, uh, you know, puck location, uh, He's got that little hourglass that he flips over just like Jim Robson used to do and small little hourglass. And every time it, the sand runs out, he gives a score. And, you know, uh, probably the only thing I'm guessing, which would be, I guess, working with me would be a downside for sure, would be, uh, you know, if, I, if, I, if I'm taking it to puck drop, after a whistle, then he doesn't get a great chance to talk about who are the five guys on the ice uh, for the Vancouver Giants. But he'll get the guy in the face-off circle, and he'll probably get, you know, who, who's on the line with him. But um, that that might be the, the only thing that, uh, you know, that might not be as clean as maybe we'd even like it to be. But it, it's worked, and they didn't fire me, so we keep doing it. Well, you mentioned the, the score and just inside baseball, but one of my my uh, wake up moment on that was when I was in trail doing smoke eaters games, and I always figured that saying it as much as you know once a minute or whatever it was was overkill. Um, and then I talked to the president of the hockey team, who said, "You need to say the score more." I'm out in the shop and I'm I'm working on my, some stuff there and I lose track of what's going on. I thought if the president of the team isn't following it close enough to know what the score is without me saying it often enough, then the average listener isn't. So that changed my perspective really quick. Yeah, very good. How much? How much radio, especially you know terrestrial radio, which is you know not not this medium, surely you know, how much of that is, is in the car, you know? And so you get in the car and you're going to get a quart of milk or whatever. And, you know, the, I guess they're a leader, I guess, for our Canadian audience. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, a it's, so you, that's kind of part of that too. Right. Whereas this medium, you know, like I should be reintroduced and we're talking to Bill Wilms, but you know, that it's the same, you know, it's the same format as you started. Like it was the same file. Like I don't need to reintroduce you as much, whereas on terrestrial radio, I mean, it's kind of a, I mean, I'm talking, you know, explaining to you, you guys that things you already know, but it's just kind of, that's, it's, it's a different, it's a different medium in, in, entirely. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is. And, you know, you, you, I, I know I can't speak for everybody, but I keep learning all the time too. I mean, I'm certainly a preacher of habit, but you, you learn those kind of things. And, uh, you talk about going out for a quarter milk. That was always my excuse to go out and hit balls at the range. And, uh, yeah, I just a little late coming back with the goods, honey. But uh, I still brought home what I went out for. So anyway, I'm just throwing that in there for what it's worth. But uh, yeah, no, we're happy with with the overall production of of our games. And 
again, happy as heck to be including now going on, uh, you know, going on the Alberta trip this year. And uh, next year, you know, the, uh, you know, the Eastern Conference comes this way and play like that interdivisional play, I think is, is excellent. It's, it got a little boring two years ago playing the same team over and over and over again. I mean, you know, even last year, I don't know how many games we had with, uh, you know, with Kamloops and, and a stretch there. So, although there was a U.S. division, but, uh, you know, we're excited about another year. I, I have to, I have to ask uh, on that note, you know, how the world has changed. When you're first doing radio, radio is your primary gig. Now, there's probably close to as many people watching on pay-per-view as there is listening to the radio broadcast. Maybe not in Vancouver, I can't say for sure. But has, has that changed the way you approach the game at all, knowing how many people are, are physically watching the action? Because you've done television too, so does it change? 100%. We have right in the booth beside us probably 10 people in there, eight for sure, that are doing video. And I don't, I'm not connected with them. I could be if I wanted to, I'm told. In other words, I could have a headset and talk to to the producer or whatever you want to call them, the replay guys in that booth but i haven't really had to but what we do is we show the replay on our screen at the lec and for me it's exactly like having a monitor beside me as i did on television and they can tell by the sound of the play-by-play guy the excitement they can tell if and i've kind of got into this a little bit Sean, if you were calling the game, I would, I would just jump in real quick about a great play or something, which is their cue to bring it up on the big screen. Now, when that happens, I am speaking to that replay with one thing in mind that the pay-per-view people watching on CHL is who I'm talking to. And I'm not so sure I would be as excited to be back if that wasn't happening at the LEC. It really has re-energized me. Uh, It has really given me uh, motivation. Uh, And because they're so good, so very good at doing that, um, it's fun. It's it's cranked it up for me. And, you know, I don't know about where on the road. I know that the people get a chance to listen to the home or away broadcaster, but... I haven't made haven't made much of an effort to coordinate what I'm saying with the screen that's showing replays in Kamloops, let's say, or Kelowna. Um, then I'm strictly in basically radio mode. But yeah, the the uh, approach that I now take certainly the the home games at the LEC is one that I'm I'm challenged to speak to the replay that's being showed. On our screen, which I understand is this, is the exact replay that's being shown on on the home screens on home television that people watching online. Well, I, I can say from from this end of that broadcast that you know that rink down there in Langley that it's it's the closest thing to a TV broadcast that we have in this league. And they do an excellent job, and I always like, you know, pumping everybody's tires on that too because they should know that they're doing a good job. So I try to, I try to, you know, express that on online, and and uh, it's 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 pretty nice. I mean, obviously the the video feed's always going to leave some to be desired, but it gets better every year, you know, league wide. But yeah, you guys do a a, a really good job, in, in my opinion, on uh, on the video feed from from Langley there. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, thank you for that. But yeah, it, it's exactly right. That's what makes it exciting. And I don't know numbers wise. I don't have a clue what you know what audiences are like. But uh, Chris Wallet, uh, working at the uh, WHL office now in Calgary, he says it's kind of the the standard that they that they like. They like what's shown out of the LEC. Uh, you know, it, I'm short of having an opportunity to say on the next whistle uh speaking to the producer uh 
saying to saying to the guy, you know, Dave Roberts, who did such a great job for us out of Calgary, I can't say to him, okay, next we'll show, show me 14 black. Give me a tight shot on the ice of 14 black because I have something to say about him, okay? Uh, and it's not just stats. It's not just, you know, the goal he just scored last night or whatever the case may be. You know, Ron Robbins has been so appreciative of the way that at the whole team at Shaw, how we sold the players, you know, it's a, it's a great, it's a great product. And you know, that, that's probably the only thing I'm missing. And, you know, I learned, you guys probably all knew this. I learned quickly that the reason the players have their numbers on the front of their helmets is so that you can, you know, cameras can pick the number up while they're sitting on the bench. So even if I said next whistle, you know, give me, you know, 10 red, they'd find them on the bench. And I'd have something to say about that. And the number of times I even asked, I'd even ask for, give me, you know, uh, Kelly McCrimmon, give me the coach next whistle. Uh, and there, there on, on the screen would be a tight shot of the coach. I'd even ask for a split screen. Give me both coaches, uh, you know, on, on, uh, on the split screen. And, and the reason is because, I mean, that's what my preparation was all about. I, I just finished Prince George doing Prince George here for tomorrow night's game. It's 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 about a two hour preparation, um, you know. So that you know, if something if it's five nothing Vancouver, you're not going to hear a ton about Cougars. George is you know leading or winning the hockey game. I, you're going to hear about you know the players on their team. You're going to hear a lot more about height and about uh, you know Samson on defense or you know Cohen Zemer up front or this Belcher kid that they they've got, I think his name is Belcher. I'll have to check that out. But he played on he played on the same team as this guy who will probably go second overall, uh, or is going to go first overall. Is is Connor Bedard? He's going to probably go second in in the, in the NHL draft. And, and 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 the Cougars are coming into town with a teammate of that guy. I, th- I think they say Saleh. You guys might know uh, Edward Saleh. He's from the Czech Republic. So. You know, this is the kind of stuff you dig up and you, you know, you get your fingernails dirty and so that when the time comes, you've got the proper thing to use. But I just love what the uh, video crew at our at our building does. And I have very much confidence in them and uh, they still got to get all their stuff in, their ads and their promotions. And somehow they still get a ton of replays. And John, I... Or Chad, you know, I like what you said about, uh, I appreciate what you said about a broadcast coming out of there. Now, just talking about Langley, it's been a few years now that Langley's been in the home for the Giants. How has that adjustment been, you think, in the marketplace? Is it, is it changed the fan base for the Giants? Are people used to it now? You know, how do you think the experiment has worked? Well, it it hasn't been as great as they'd like it to have been. Um, we've had a taste of it when we had uh, 2019 playoffs, and it was WHL final between Prince Albert and Vancouver. Uh, it was pretty much bedlam in there. Uh, the noise was, you know, the fan respo- response was terrific. I took my, my, one of my keys is taking my headset off during a break and having the play-by-play guy take his off and, and, and we're sitting beside each other and try to communicate. And you know, when it's nuts that you can't, I mean, you literally can't, can't hear each other. I remember in the Moda Center, you know, to me, that was, that was unbelievable. Dan Russell and I take our headsets off and Edmonton was playing Portland in those three years in a row in the finals and there's 11,000 people in there and you can't even hear you can't hear the guy beside you that only happens rarely now at the LEC but I think that's probably everywhere in junior hockey at this point I I almost don't know if I trust the numbers that I read all the time either Um, I'm not sure sir it was an experiment it was definitely a move that was intended to be you know, pretty permanent. Um, would they move back? 
I, I, I'm guessing Ron Toigo, the owner, probably would. Um, I don't know about the rest of the staff when it talk when you talk about moving, you know, all your facilities and everything. I'm not so sure that would be that accepted, but it's been okay. It's been okay. You know, four and a half thousand people in there, even four thousand people at the LEC is 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 a good crowd. We're four thousand people at the Pacific Coliseum. You know, look look pretty sparse. Well, and you know, you were making the apples to apples comparison there as far as the 2019 Giants and you know 2013 Winterhawks. That you know, I mean, you you'd think any barn that once you make it to the to the league final, and you know, this is a you know a, a, a life that, that that Sean was lucky enough to live with the with those uh, Broncos team. I mean, you know, you would. You would hope that would be a, an electric experience, but also one that's kind of hard to, to recapture on a regular basis. You know, Chad, it wasn't that way, though, in that same series. It, it was palatably different playing at Rexall Place when we were playing the home games with the, with the All-Kings. Um, same final, same two teams. Wasn't the same. That That's still a highlight for me, honestly. I mean, and you know whatever games I've done 2000 plus the, the, the games of those three series in Portland, in Portland at, at, at the Moda center, those are the most exciting times of my broadcast career. Um, I, I just, to think that these 17, 18 year old kids out on the ice, 19 year olds were performing in that environment, and especially the visiting team, like the pressure that we place and still place on kids to perform. I mean, at that level, at that at that height of the WHL season, when you're talking finals, you can't come to the bench and apologize for a play. You can't come back and say, my bad, guys. You must kill the penalty the right way. You must block the shots. You're on the power play. You must make the right play. You have to score on that power play if you're trailing by a goal or whatever the case might be. You're leading by a goal. You must kill that penalty. And and we requ- we we require the utmost of of talent and compete level at that point in a hockey game at that part of the season when you're playing in WHL final. And it's even cranked up more at the Memorial Cup. And yeah, I get goosebumps thinking of the. You know, I mean, all the buildings I've been in, and I, I did what? I think I had 70. Last year, I, this year, last spring, I started my 70, 70th WHL series, not game, WHL playoff series, not playoff game, series. So I've been in every building pretty much and seen it. And uh, it's hard to beat Portland. I got to be honest with you, Chad. That's, that's right up there. Well, you know, you were there. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, and Edmonton's coming to town here uh, early next week and excited to, I mean, obviously it's it's different, but it's still, it's still fun. And, you know, I mean, if, uh, if Griffin Reinhardt was healthy that year, the Oil Kings might've won all three of them, who knows? But. Well, you know, and I don't, I don't mean to disparage Prince Albert, uh, you know, watching, watching the people run in there when the doors open in the playoffs against Vancouver in 2019. They opened the doors and the people literally ran into the standing room areas with their milk carton boxes or the milk cartons, I guess, where you could stand on them. I mean, to see that scene is indelibly, you know, printed on my mind. Um, you know, Kelowna, other places as well. I don't want to, like I say, disparage anybody, but when you're getting, you know, in that neighborhood, 11, 12,000 people, it's, you know, and the junior hockey fan is is kind of special. So yeah, it's 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 fun. It's exciting, and you know, uh, well, what will Edmonton draw in your building next week, Chad? I mean, who knows? Yeah, it'll be the the first midweek game of the year, and you know, it's you know down here, juniors hockey season doesn't start till college football's over, and yada yada. But you know, we've only had one one game so far and it, you know, we had over 5,000 in there and it felt like a, felt like a real good crowd. It felt like we just fell right back into, uh, into the season. So yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. We'll see how it goes. I think we have to be 
I think we have to be patient a bit too. You know, every team now that masking is gone and and things are mostly back to normal, every team is still dealing with the fallout of not having some of their fans the last few years. And unfortunately, you know, when something's not a part of your routine anymore, it's hard to get back to that routine. So I think every team is dealing with that reality right now of, you know, how many fans are coming back. And the, the marketing types are going to have to work harder than ever before uh, the next couple of years to make sure they get as many of those people back as they can. Yeah, that's hitting the nail right on the head properly. That That's more than anything. Uh, there are still still people here in Vancouver that are afraid to go into a, any kind of a crowded you know, place. So, yeah, yeah, that's as much as anything. I mean, I know my experience in the league is even in the first round of the playoffs, you think, well, how come the place isn't packed? Well, it builds. It goes through first, second, third round. But now dealing with COVID and, and you know, the residue of, all of that problem, that might be one of the the bigger reasons why you're going to have to be a little bit more patient. So maybe that's one of the reasons if you got a good squad and you can get off to a good start, you might be able to hook some people right back. Yeah, I mean, with just with everything across the board, it's been slow to to bring bring folks back in, into the building, whether it's you know the restaurant or the or the hockey game or the baseball game or 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 anything really. It's kind of a it's it's just not what it was, but it's, you know, we're moving the ball, so to speak. And yeah, I don't know. It's a, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a thing we've talked about plenty on this show, I'm sure, but you know, we're, we're, we're going the right direction still. Well, Ch- Chad, tell me what's, what's high school football like in, in Portland? What, what, what's crowd wise there? High school football? Yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to tell. I know that uh, there's a whole highlight package on the local news. And, you know, friend of the show, Scott Sepich, you know, he, he, uh, he, he, it's one of the only things he covers anymore, but he covers, you know, high school football for the, for the Oregonian here, pretty, pretty heavy. So there's a media presence and, you know, he's told me that they would get more traffic, you know, on the Oregonian website covering high school football than, uh, than a lot of things, you know, comparatively. So, but I don't know about the crowds per se. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you know, Washington football or, or Portland f- football or that, I, I guess that's, it's probably patience more than anything. Although the one thing we know that, that you know, the, the professional sports are packed. I mean, that I don't think anybody's down much in, in fan support in, you know, NFL or NHL, even the preseason games. I think, I think there's, uh, they're probably going to be okay, but you know, this darn thing is, is, you know, this this uh, virus, this whole thing has spooked a lot of people. There's still, you know, there's still people up here wearing masks, driving cars. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, it's going to be a bit of a process getting everybody back. But, you know, Lord willing, it will come back and we'll be back to where we were. I, uh, the interleague play now, the interdivision play, rather, for the hockey is really exciting for me. Let me ask you, Bill, I mean, I've sort of broached this topic before. Do you think... You know, A, we know there's not quite as much money coming in right now, so teams are going to have to adjust to that. But B, do you think the competitiveness and the, the attempt to get to that high level of professionalism in junior hockey almost took teams a little too far? How many staff members they had, how many coaches, how many scouts, video people, you know, the degree of the expenses for some of these junior teams maybe got a little bit out of control? And this situation will force some leveling there and, and getting back to, you know, you can't run an NHL-sized staff for a junior team. No. I mean, it's part of the reset. No no question. I think, uh, you know, the Western Hockey League has had a reset. Um, you know, probably first and foremost, we saw that even a probably, what was it, a year or two ago when a number of coaches were taking on the job of coaching GM. Um you know, I, I don't know about training staffs and, and, and scouting staffs. I do know that if you go back to the sanctioning of the Winterhawks a couple of years ago, I guess probably more than just a couple now, golly, I think their scouting staff maybe even doubled being that. But, yeah, to your point, Sean, that's a good point. I mean, I, I mean everything's 
probably geared down a bit and hey we got to reset this thing and see what our expenses are in view of the crowds in view of the lack of sponsorships that that you know that we're facing and uh it's probably a good thing but and one thing when portland extended the size of their scouting staff they had lots of cell phones to give them so that was yeah at the, at, yeah, at the time they had the budget, and then and then that ended up going south. Although to be fair, the 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 hockey team was in the black. It was it was all the rest of his businesses that uh, that, that weren't going well. But yeah, and what a what a weird time to buy a hockey team when uh, when that when that went down. Hey Chad, let me it's your show and you you run it, but let me ask you right off the top while I'm thinking about it, how well is uh, Don Hay going to be able to work in in Kamloops with Sean Clouston? Well, I mean, I always I imagine most folks probably wondered how that was going to work here, as far yeah. as having you know two uh, two guys that have you know wear the same hat, and also you know presumably completely different hockey strategies as well. How did it work? Well, I mean, you know, kind of like having Danny Flynn in town before that. You know, it's, 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 they have, you know, tremendous results in the regular season. Then they seem to get stuck in the second round somehow. And, you know, is that, is that coaching? Is that players? Is that all of it? I mean, maybe, maybe making the second round is, is pretty good in most towns. It's not here, you know, and, but at the same time, I mean, the guys like, you know, the Don Hayes and the, and the Mike Johnsons, I mean, that they, you know, they have the, the, the coaching clinics with the, the coaches site and all, and all of that. Like, so I want to hear what the, the, uh, the opposite worldview is. I want, I want to be influenced by that. And so, you know, when you take that as far as, you know, Don, who has apparently unretired yet again, you know, there in, in, in cam loops and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, he's, it, it, I will say it's probably a good thing that he's, He's had that, you know, assistant experience over the last couple of years, so he's, you know, familiar with that role. But, you know, something tells me that, you know, host a Memorial Cup in a in, in, a, in a town, he he's probably staying there forever. I mean, that's that that had to be a, a pretty nice lure to uh to to bring back there. And you, I I, I kind of wonder if he retires for real after this one, but who knows? No, I I'm with you, hundred percent on that. And and this is purely. Purely my conjecture here, my 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 thinking. Is there a possibility, and I'm thinking out loud, that during this season, during any time, that uh, Sean Cluston moves into a general managership there, and Don Hay ends up being coach in that hockey club? I, I'm just thinking out loud. I don't know, but he is I, at home. I think what's happening there, my my perspective on it, I, I know. Having been around a couple of coach GMs in Swift Current, they always, you know, and Mark Lamb always emphasized to me, he had to have a lead assistant he was really comfortable leaving the team with. Because, and, and a lot of people will point to the time they have to go away and scout. That does happen, especially in a Memorial Cup season. He's going to have to do a fair bit of traveling to, you know, what's out there and to have conversations about that but also Mark pointed out to me many times it's also running practice because you've got phone calls you have to make in return you've got things you got to get done you can't always be there at practice you have to have that trusted hand that head coach like lead assistant that can take over your practice when the things get busy in GM duties so who better in a Memorial Cup season, with the experience he's had to serve in that capacity as kind of a stand-in coach while Sean has to do all those GM duties, then Don A. Whether they're, you know, what their personality match will be like, I know they're two very strong-willed individuals, but I think he suits that role of being able to fulfill all those duties um, remarkably well. No question. But yeah, the the personality thing. Although my guess too is that Hazer's, you know, he's probably mellowed a bit. You know, having him in Vancouver and talking to him many many times, uh, post game interviews and 
this, that, and the other thing. I talked to Don. And in fact, I remember one of the first times I had him on the air, he, he, he said, you know, that he said to me, Bill, I, I, I really, I really like the way we both think the game the same way. And it was, it was a compliment. And I, I, I took it that way and, and kind of valid, validated some of the, you know, the, the future work that we did together. But, uh, you know, now working, you know, with Mike Johnson, who's, I mean, for lack of a better analogy, basketball on ice with, uh, so much success at systems and plays and offense, letting the offense, you know, run with the, you know, the racehorses kind of like they want to get out and go. I think he's learned a lot, to be honest with you. I think he'd probably be one of the first to say that. Um, but he's a, he's an interesting personality for me. I, I don't know off the top of my head between Clouston and Don Hay, how many games of hockey they've won between them in the Western Hockey League, but, it's certainly a massive number. I don't know if you could put any two guys together at this point that have won more than the two of them have together. So, um, you know, it's, you know, and I think, as I say, I, I know, I know Don, if he's at one end of the bench, you know, dealing with the defense during the game, they're in, they're in very, very good hands. And in practice, to your point, you know, taking over practice when when he has to. I mean, there's there isn't a practice Don he couldn't run in full leadership mode um, with any team in the Western Hockey League. So so that's all good. And you know, you got to keep saying, uh, you know, he's from Camus. What did he win? Three Memorial Cups in a row, or was it two? And I don't have it right on top of my head, but certainly two. And uh, yeah, I mean, that I don't know if the game's changed that much. It's changed a lot. But I don't think it's changed to the point where he hasn't been able to adapt. Well, I mean, he was coaching Jerome McGinley, and now he's coaching against McGinley's son and in, in yeah. playing for Seattle. So it's changed. It's changed a little bit there. But you know, the the, the thing I wonder about, you know, Don and you know making his triumph for return to Kamloops and, and meshing with with Cluson is just. You know the the personalities. You know, you, again, Mike Johnson gets kind of a reputation for being, you know, kind of a players guy, whereas you know Don's kind of a hard ass. And and I think that Corey Cluson kind of has that, or Sean Cluson rather has that same, you know, kind of reputation as far as being kind of hard nosed. So I wonder if there's, you know, if 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 there's too much of, of the same guy in that, you know, delivery. But I don't know, maybe not. Well. The, the coaching of today, you know, all these guys included or not, very simply, you, you've got you, you got to explain why. That's probably the biggest thing now that players want to know. I mean, just tell me why. And and you know, if if you if you can, if you can communicate that, I think you're well on your way to, you know, getting their attention because. You know, like it or not, you're dealing with a lot of elitism now. We're talking about a lot of kids that have come out of, you know, various situations where it's been costly to send them to and their entitlement. And uh, I guess that's one of the biggest things that players are entitled now. They feel they're entitled. So you got to tell me why I'm not on the power play. You know, you got to tell me why I'm not killing penalties. I'm in my draft year. And, you know, coaches, scouts are coming in the building and they want to see me you know, in all situations. So I got to get out there and on the power play. If, if I'm not on three power plays in, in, on the ice that night, I'll tell you, scouts will notice that. So it's, it's a lot of, you know, and then you got agents involved. Good grief. I mean, I laughed, you know, when I, when I played college hockey in North Dakota, it was owned by Boston Bruins because they owned our team. And, you know, you guys know why the NHL draft ultimately started was because NHL teams owned junior teams. And the Montreal Canadiens, I don't know how many junior teams in Quebec they owned. And they owned one team, I believe, in, in one of the Ontario leagues just to just to have ownership of one player. And, and the name sk skips my mind. But, uh, you know, and, and people were saying, well, wait a minute, it's unfair. I mean, Montreal just continues to win cup after cup after cup because they have access to all these players. Well, you know, when I played, we didn't even, we, we didn't have agents. We didn't know what was even going on. I didn't know that the 
NHL from six teams would expand to 12 and the world hockey and all that kind of stuff. Well, now coaches got to deal with players. If a player doesn't get ice time one night, he might survive. If he's, if he's shortchanged in his mind, the second night, his agent's on the phone. And, you know, I, I think coaches are contacted. And, you know, what? just tell me why. Yeah, I and mean, we've talked about that. I'm I'm certainly the same way. I want to know why this rule is here, or why I can't go over here, or why I have to, you know, jump through this hoop or whatever. So I can I can definitely relate to that position, and I'm certainly no elite athlete, that's for sure. Yeah, it's it's the way it is. So no, I I just wanted your guys' opinion on on that situation because I find it rather unique that that Don and 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 Sean Clouston will be working together and. In uh, in cameras, but quite a year for the Blazers. There's no doubt, you know, about that. It may be how they how they build for for the big wind up. It's always funny though for me, uh, knowing you know that Sean Luce has that reputation as that sort of uh, hard nosed um, coach. Because interviewing him as many times as I did, I'm not sure if there was a more thoughtful, measured interview that I did then with him. And he was, you know, calm, uh, thoughtful, considered every question, tried to respond to it without cliches, you know. So my experience with him was uh, polar opposite to what the reputation is. And, you know, you see the results he's had. He can't be too old school. And at the same time, if there's any team where players um, will have less room to be entitled and demand theirs this year, it would be Kamloops, because if you get to be part of that Memorial Cup team, you know you've got to be a part of it, because there's not going to be one or two or three guys getting everything. They're going to have a stacked, loaded roster. So if you want to be a part of that ride, you're going to have to buy in. Yeah. Tell you a completely trivial question or trivial fact <laughs> John Clouston, I brought because I televised him when he was playing roller hockey. <laughs> I forget which American team he was playing for, but the Vancouver Voodoo was quite a thing here for a while. And, and I go back that far that he, he was playing. I, I he played Didn't he play in Portland in the, in the Western Hockey League? I, he got, I believe I, so. I mean, there's a there's a long, long tradition, you know, the Derek Laxdahls and the and – the, uh, the Bruno Campessis, the guys that played here that went on to, you know, uh, my, uh, Mike Williamson, you know, guys that, that have, that have coached and, and, and been, you know, GMs in this league. I, th- I think at one point there was, there was five guys that played here that were coaches in this league and, and, and Portland didn't have one of those guys at that time. So yeah, I, th- I think, I think Clusen played here. Hmm. Is it harder? You think Bill now, I see the Blazers have only played two games so far this year, the a win and a loss. Certainly the fewest in the BC division. So they're probably can't wait to get going. What do you what do you make of them? You know, the the way their roster is constructed for the Memorial Cup run this year. Is there anything that stands out to you? Well, I haven't seen them yet. Uh so it, it's it's a little a little bit hard to say, but you know obviously they feel there's some unfinished business from last year. I, I honestly don't know, you know who's who's going to be back. I'll have to reserve judgment a little bit on that one, but um, you know it it could be you know when you when you take a look at. Uh, you know the guys that were key to their to their hockey club last year. You wonder if uh, you know Logan Stan Coleman. I, I don't know. I mean, he's got to be back. And obviously, he's a big one. And then trade deadline be some very interesting players that they could be going after and trying to make uh, making a pitch for it because. You know the three things that I've always said about being successful at the Western Hockey League level is you got to scout well, you got to develop well, and you got to trade well. And I don't think the NHL is a whole lot different and different. And I think you know that the final piece to the Kamloops puzzle will be who they acquire. 
on that note, Bill, uh, and, and you've been around teams that have hosted Memorial Cups. You, you've been around teams that have hosted Memorial Cups before, but it seems like when you host a Memorial Cup, you have to be all in. You put everything you have on the table to try to build a team that's good enough. Knowing the size of the investment you have to make in that kind of capital, would you even want to be a Memorial yeah, I, Cup I host think you anymore? Would. I mean, you it, does, it is costly. Extremely costly. You got to, like you say, you got to, you got to go all in. I think you owe it to your fans. I think you owe it to your, you know, to your city. I think you owe it to your players. Um, when that opportunity comes, I, I, you know what? And I think you you build for that because you know when you're, you know, you're bidding to host the Memorial Cup that you've got to have a team that's going to be, you know, capable of being that competitive and. I kind of, I, I, I think I still feel the same way. It's hard to say the last couple of years with, with, with the, uh, you know, playoff, you know, with COVID and everything being shortened and, and no playoffs. It's kind of hard. I've always felt teams in, in the league that's hosting, whether it's the OHL in Quebec or the Western League. I, I always felt teams, um, it's, I don't think it's completely cutthroat. In other words, I might make a deal with Kamloops to try to, well, try to help my own team if I'm trading with them, but I'll, you know, obviously try to help them a bit too. I mean, that's the same. I haven't seen playoffs the last couple of years. So you kind of felt that way, and I'm not so sure it's a whole lot different now. You- I mean, you know, Connor Bedard, I mean, he's a prime piece, you know. Interesting to know what will happen there. You get a ransom. Do you think that, uh, if we had Lauren Mollican on the show, he would, he would, what, what, what would he say about, you know, what it costs to try to, you know, mortgage the future to, to, to try to win that tournament? Oh yeah. He'd, uh, he'd know full well. How difficult was that for Saskatoon? Good grief. I mean, they, they suffered like crazy after that, but you know, teams do have windows. I mean, how do you, how do you explain when a team wins two in a row? I you know, say I, I mean, felt it can I, be done, but it's tough. I felt especially awful for the Blades uh, as a fan base and the organization after suffering through the all the years in the darkness after that. When their team was at their peak, it's the two years we don't have playoffs. Like what a kick in the teeth that was. So I, I sure hope that they come around here, but. You know, Regina is another team that went through that recently. And now, after having done that for the Memorial Cup back in 2018, they're trying to build around Bedard. You mentioned him getting traded. What do you feel feel like the chances of that really are? You know, if, if you're Regina and you're a middle-of-the-pack team, are you dealing him? Or do you want the NHL to say, Regina, Pat, Connor Bedard? I like that a lot. And... Uh... I I would say that any any photograph, any picture of Connor Bedard in a Kamloops Blazer uniform lifting the Memorial Cup over his head almost completely tarnishes his image as a Regina Pat. And I just don't think Kamloops or uh, Regina will take that chance. I feel the same way. That's my first instinct is that when you have a generational talent, you want his name to be associated with your organization for as long as he plays. You know, Sidney Crosby from Ramuski, uh, Eric Lindros, when you have that level of player, uh, Connor McDavid and Kiri, you know, they want to have that guy associated with their organization. I just can't see a team trading that player away then knowing they're going to say Kamloops when he's picked first overall. They're going to show highlights with Kamloops. Well, exactly. I mean, that that's, you almost forget, you could actually slip to the back of your mind that he was a Regina Pat, and, and I just can't see. No, I, I mean, the more I think about it, I mean, he's not going to, you know, a contender might be different, but the the risk there would be if he was traded to a team that would actually be a Memorial Cup champion. I, 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 uh, yeah, I, I, I just can't see it. I mean, I said that on a, 
on a Regina program not uh, last week. Somebody was talking to me, and I said, no, I, I just can't see it. I just can't see him. Like I said, the, for me, that the, the dagger would be lifting the Memorial Cup in a Kamloops Blazer uniform for, you know, a, a, a generational player like you know like he is. I, I'm looking forward to see him. We're gonna we're gonna see him twice in Vancouver, obviously with the Pats being here, and then also with the prospects game here. Um, so that's uh, that's pretty exciting. But you know, he's uh, he he is special. Uh, everything in his repertoire. Where most everything re- revolves around that guy's ability to shoot the puck. You know, a lot of guys have great technique, but no velocity. Other guys have great velocity when shooting, but not really great technique. He's got it both. Yeah, and the other, you know, another element to that is, you know, what what can he possibly, you know, be worth? I mean, you know, you look at. You know, if you were going to trade for Patrick Mahomes in the in the National Football League, you know, is that what ten first rounders? Like, what? Like, where do you where do you where do you go with that? You know, if if you back to to our game, I mean, if you're going to trade for for McKinnon or or McDavid, I mean, what you know what what's he worth? You know, you know that your 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 top six forwards and, and a goalie. I mean, where where do, where do you you know how do you how do you even quantify something like that? That you know, it's not a it's not a guy that, you know, we've seen, you know, that, that there's, there's really no comparable to him, you know, no, then again, really. I guess, you know, Gretzky got traded for, uh, for Roman Vopat one time. So I guess, you know, they, it, 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 it can happen, but you know, it, it doesn't, it's just, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how you even value that. You know what I mean? Well, and that, you know, and your mind can, can really run wild with that. I mean, if you get back, he's starting line of three players three three 18 year old three nine three three 18s that'll be 19 years I, I mean i you go all over the place starting starting pairs of plus the starting gold i mean yeah you, you go anywhere I, I i will say right now i i can't see it happening and, and i hope and i hope it doesn't but i'm sure looking forward to seeing them play yeah i will i won't i won't be uh blessed with the opportunity to see to see him come through here unless, you know, somehow Regina's in the final or something. And, and, yeah. and uh, uh, barring, barring something like that, I won't, I won't get to see him live uh, at, at this league. I don't believe. Yeah. That's unfortunate. So what do you, who are you excited about on, uh, on the, on the local team that, that you cover there, Bill, with the, with the Vancouver Giants? What, how, do you, how do you think they're going to go this year? Who, who are you excited to see play? Um, we've been, we've been fortunate so far here i mean again we're playing three of our first you know five games against seattle so it's been a pretty good litmus test here right off the hop for for the giants um and you know the the game against uh, well you know they're they're, they played four they played everett once and seattle twice play seattle this saturday Uh, a, a very solid win over victoria and why what i'm saying here is it's it's a very interesting group they haven't given up a third period goal this year they gave an empty netter in in uh, seattle the other night they were trailing 5-1 it was funny it was opening night you can appreciate it you know you know the us division you know what opening night and hanging a banner and all of that and and you know the showware center full of people and i, I said to Eddie Gregory, I, I said to he asked me what some of the keys are I'm looking for. I said, well, I said the first two minutes are going to be critical, and I said after that the first five minutes of the first period are going to be very critical. And, you know, I laughed when I think Seattle scored at 47 seconds, and I looked at him and I kind of poked him and made a one nothing, made it two nothing. I think a minute and 40 into the period, so two we're down two nothing after after. Uh, you know, two, not even two minutes of play. So you, you just know that, Chad, you've been around long enough. I, I, I know Sean has too, that these are the kind of things that are not that surprising. And they had, would they have five guys back from camp? I, I think Seattle had 12 at NHL camps and six eligible to come back. And I think Korchinski's back for the weekend now. Um, 
And all three guys, forward guys that were back, scored goals in the second period. So you know their their offense was was flying high. And then Vancouver came back five one, made it five four. A very very quiet third period, as far as the fans are concerned. They were, they, you know, when you when they start the cheer in Seattle, go you know go birds go or whatever the heck it is they say. You know they're they're a little concerned and you know again they get the open net goal so. They they give up too early in Everett, and come back and 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 play a scoreless third period. They don't get scored on. The same thing in Seattle, and they did that the first game in Seattle opening night. They, they tied the game in the third period. The only goal of the third was scored by Seattle and or by Vancouver rather, and they got uh, they got the point uh, and then a sh- got to a shootout. And you know anybody now? It's no longer a team game. It's it's the, that that component is gone in a shootout. Uh, so, you know, the four games that they've played have been very difficult competition. And in, in, in when I look at what overall to, to encapsulate this in three ways, the Vancouver Giants 20-year-old, one of their 20-year-olds is their top scorer, Ty Thorpe. That's so important. A 20-year-old will be that important. Their European player, Samuel Hunsick. How is he doing? Well, he's tied for the lead in scoring as well. He's got five points. And you want a defenseman up there who drives the offense. You want somebody back there that contributes offensively. Although their real problem is still defensive coverage. But Mazden Leslie, their 17-year-old, has also got five points. So they got a 20-year-old, a Euro, and a defenseman all leading the team in scoring with the same number after four games. So that's encouraging. It's a team that doesn't have any game breakers, not a one. There isn't a you know Fabian Lysel or a Justin sort of, you know, somebody who wants to puck with a, you know, with a game, with a game on the line, um, that's going to hurt. But they are playing, and I don't like the old saying, "score by committee." But, but honestly, guys, that's that's what it looks like with this group. They're they're going to. I think they could have seven or eight guys with fifteen goals, and maybe nobody, you know, with twenty five or thirty. Although Zach Ostopchik is going to be back soon, I understand, but. He's not a game breaker. He's a terrific, terrific two-way center that Ottawa has just loves the pick that they had. You know, Chad, he had 24 career points when he got drafted in the second round. 24 as a forward. That was it. 12 goals and 12 assists. I don't know of another forward that I've ever seen in the WHL that went that high in the draft with that little offense shown. Now, granted, it was a bubble season, part of that. And it was short and COVID and all of that kind of stuff. But they felt he was a sensey pick. They, they called him a sense. They got a sense. They feel like he's got more there than he showed it of the 24 points. Well, I'll be darned if, you know, last year he didn't just absolutely take the bull by the horns. He had 26 goals, 43 points, led the team in playoff scoring. Did everything. I mean, they got to be laughing all the way to the bank right now, are the Ottawa Senators, because of that pick. So I don't know if he's a game breaker. He's a strong, strong forward that plays exceptionally hard and in all three zones. Um, when he was 16, his 16 year old season with the Giants, uh, took a ton of key faceoffs late in periods. Most responsible 16 year old forward that I think I've ever seen. You could you could absolutely count on him, but Ottawa saw the offense there to take them where they did, and boy did he explode last year! And good for him, and good for Ottawa. Your coaching staff there has done a great job. You've seen with Vancouver, you know, former NHL coaches, legendary junior coaches. You've talked to the best of the best in your work with Shaw. How does that coaching staff you have in Vancouver compare with? Some of the best that you've had a chance to interact. Well, Michael Dick caught my attention when he took a Lethbridge team that had given up the most goals in the Western Hockey League the year that he took them over, and he, I think he took it to the fewest goals against in the Western Hockey League in, in that season. And, and if I'm not mistaken, that was the year they lost to Spokane in the WHL final. So he, he caught my attention in terms of coaching you know play without the puck in other words keeping pucks out of your own 
own net. Now, you got to have the personnel to do that. He coaches that way. The buy-in is that you must play that way. Uh, you don't really have a choice. They missed him last year. There's no question. When he went to the World Junior, uh, uh, I like what he. Uh, I like the way he runs his practices. I'm a little surprised he's still in the Western Hockey League. I, I'm surprised he's still a junior. I, I would have certainly after this year. Um, I got to believe he's got to move on. Uh, I don't know what kind of opportunities he's had, but uh, he's he's uh, he's all business. Okay, there isn't. Uh, you know, there's not. Hockey's a hard game to play, and he recognizes that. He knows, and I've heard him say many times, players have to realize how hard it is to win in this league. You don't just put the gear on. You're seldom going to run into a team that's an easy two points. It's almost every team, at least that we played, that I've seen in the league. It's, it's, it's a tough out. There's very, very few games that you can say, well, you know what, I didn't see that laugher coming. And, and he's... Uh, He's prepared. I, I'm, I'm surprised he's back in junior. I, I, I really am. I, I thought there'd be an assistant job open for him somewhere. And I'm not talking about pro hockey. I think maybe a move right into the National League is an assistant coach. Michael Dick would not be out of the question. And, and I don't know enough about Adam Maglio, who we now have, who was the um, assistant and the interim coach at Spokane. Do you think, do you think it's getting harder for junior coaches to make that leap because we used to see that path you know you'd start in junior a or wherever you make it up to the major junior ranks you have success there you go to the american hockey league and then have your path to the nhl but it seems like some of the best junior coaches are not getting long looks when they get to the pro rank you know we, we have some guys getting cups of coffee but you know a, a guy like dave lowry who had a ton of junior success Gets a half a season in Winnipeg. Um, and Manny Vibros gets one season on the assistant coaching staff in Edmonton before having to go to Vegas as farm team. Like, it, it just doesn't, doesn't seem like the, the rope is as long for these guys when they make that jump. I think it was Don Hay that told me one time that uh, when you're looking at an NHL job, if you haven't played in the NHL, it's your job is is just that much tougher. Um, if you haven't played, you if you have played, there's that respect from the players that you know you know you know what I'm going through. Uh, and it it always kind of stuck with me. And I mean, the exceptions obviously were a guy like Ken Hitchcock. I mean, you could I don't know. I mean, he I don't even know how much minor hockey he played. Uh, won a Stanley Cup. But generally, that was a criteria. It, it wasn't so much what you knew. It so, wasn't so much your X's and O's. I don't even know about all that. Uh, and you know what? C coaches have always said, but again, the top coaches will tell you practice is their time. Game is a player's time. And uh, as good a coach as, as you are in practices and, and, and formulating game plans and all of that stuff, uh, you've got to be able to also be the guy that runs a ship and, you know, when the game's on, because Don would say to me, he said, it's, it, you know, the, the game in the NHL is showtime. That, that's what I'm paid for. Practice? Who's talking practice? Who's the basketball guy that was talking about that or football or whoever it was? But Alan Iverson. Yeah. Practice? Yeah, practice? What are you talking about? So, so. On the other hand, I remember Bruce Hamilton telling me when one of those coaches jobs in Kelowna was open, he was shocked at the number of professional coaches that were applying to go back into junior. And um, he said, I got tons of guys that are now coming from the pros into the junior. I guess probably one of the reasons is to teach, to be able to teach kids and, and they enjoy the coaching part of it. So it, it might be tough getting from junior to the Western Hockey League if your personality and your resume doesn't fit with the guys that are making a gazillion dollars. Jamie Compon called. He said to just uh, just stay on the on the keep taking them jets and not riding the uh, not riding the buses. It's it's overrated. But uh. yeah, what do they? Say? Oh dear, at thirty thousand feet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
we've kept you for a while, Bill. Do you, uh, you know, we always love having you on the show. You got any, you know, kind of closing thoughts as we go put put a bow on this episode? No, I enjoyed it immensely. I, I did get a beep on my battery on my screen saying battery low, so I can need somebody to act for a while, you know, and I appreciate the call. And I don't know where we're running into each other, Sean, for sure. I don't know. And, you know, Chad probably on a trip into Portland, I know you'd be at a game. And if, if you are, stop by. I always uh, welcome. Uh, and, and again, you know, being a guest on our pregame show some sometimes you've done a wonderful job even in between periods when we were in portland um chad so uh keep in touch yeah i like it yeah it's a pleasure every time i get to chat with you bill and uh they hope you have a great year with the giants say hi to eddie for me i will on and uh, again thanks for always the updates on uh you know on uh social media with you and your you know your your family and all of that stuff <laughs> Very interested and wish you all the best always. To get back into the game to a point where you've uh, been such a great uh, credit to the game. So thanks again, guys. Okay.